for the service. All right, let's open up our Bibles. We are back in our study. It's been a little while. We are back in our study at 2 Samuel chapter 13. That's 2 Samuel chapter uh, 13. We will um, read the passage as we go. It's a long passage. So we won't read it up front, so we'll read it as we go. We're at 2 Samuel chapter 13. As always, don't have a Bible, please pick one up. Specifically today, uh, we're going to really be going into this passage, so I really want you to be following along with me as we do it. So we're at 2 Samuel chapter 13, and this passage is a difficult one, and I'm really feeling how ill-equipped I am to preach this, so let's go to God and pray, Okay. Uh, Lord, we come before you right now. Uh, we, we truly believe, because your word teaches us, that all of Scripture is God-breathed. That there is not a chapter in the Bible, there is not a verse in the Bible, there's not a word in the Bible that you don't have there for a reason, for, for a purpose in uh, our lives. So God, we, we just pray. We pray right now that you would be gracious, that you would be merciful, that you would be compassionate, that you would meet with us in a, a very, very difficult uh, passage of Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we can all relate, but have you ever been in a situation that was so difficult, you found it very challenging to find good in the situation? That the circumstances were so overwhelming so hard, you just could not see the silver lining. So I remember before I went to seminary, uh, Abby, my, my wife, was, was finishing up her undergraduate degree, so I needed to work. I needed to make some money, so I ended up working for a uniform laundering service, like a rental service. Uh, there's a big name company, Cintas, right now. So maybe if you know what I'm talking about, it's like Cintas. They actually, after I went to seminary, they got bought out. The company I worked for got bought out by Cintas. And, and what we would do, and we would rent, we would rent not only uniforms, since it's a uniform uh, laundering and rental service, we would rent floor mats. So think in the winter months when you go in and you're stepping, as soon as you walk into an office building, those floor mats, a lot of those are not theirs. They rent it from a place uh, just to keep up. And then once a week, we would go and we would change those. We also did like uh, auto repair uh, shops, like their, their rags or towels and even some other uh, difficult places. I despise the job. I, I can't even tell you how much I did not like the job uh, I was a supervisor, but it did not feel like I was a supervisor. My guys, some of my employees that I supervised, they would start their day really early, like 4 a.m. So I had to be there 4 to 5 in the morning. And then other guys worked a little later. So I was there 5 or 6. So I was working 12, 13-hour days. I was salaried, so I wasn't getting paid more for the extra hours. Was not paid that well. And one of my responsibilities as a supervisor is I had to run the uh, route delivery of my employees who all had tons of seniority and tons of vacation. I had to run their vacations. And I remember this one week, like it was yesterday. It was in the summer. I believe it was in August. 
my one guy who I hated to do his route was on vacation. And I got to do his route. And I remember it was like a Tuesday. I think it was a Tuesday because I remember the day that his route hit this. Um, it was about 90 degrees. And I had two places that I really, really, really did not like to do. One was, I think it's K&J Meats. Is that it? K&J Meats. Uh, we would do their like rags and stuff. Well, uh, they're a butcher, so imagine rags sitting with butcher stuff for a week in 90-degree temperatures. So I had to sort them uh, and go through them, and it was bad. And if you know me, one of my greatest weaknesses, like Superman's kryptonite, mine is smell. So I, I, I had a really time, and then literally an hour later, I had to go to NAMSA, it's an animal testing center. Once again, great odors. And I remember as I got back in the truck, I started crying. I did. I legit cried. I was like, I was like, this is the worst thing ever. My life is terrible. Nobody grows up wanting to sort rags and smell animal testing. And I did. I did. I, tears were, it was emotional. Even now I'm a little choked up as I think about it. But what got me through is I knew Abby was graduating in a little over a year at that time, and we were moving to seminary. I was going to go to seminary. I was going to get an MDiv, and then I was going to come back and start a church. So it, it, I kept the eye on the prize. It was tough. It was awful. And it was really difficult for me to see the silver lining. And I think when circumstances are terrible like that, it is really impossible for us to see any good, to see anything positive coming from those moments in our life. But the good news is that God is present in the awful. Though this world can bring real pain, I and mean, let's be honest, what I went through wasn't real pain, I was still getting paid. It was awful. Yeah, I'm, I'm a gagger. But like comparatively, this was a more mild version of suffering that we're talking about. But this world, we see how much damage sin can cause, how, how wretched sinners can be. But here's the good news. God hasn't left his throne. God's still at work. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 13. And it is going to be hard for us to see that. But that's what's going on here. If you're taking notes, we're going to begin our time by looking at the big messes in life. The big messes in life. One of the, the wonderful elements of the Bible is that God allows bad situations to happen to his people in the Bible so that you and I don't feel like we're some oddballs. Like if everything was rosy and God put bubble wrap around his people in the Bible and then you and I experience real life, it, it would be so hard for us to identify and relate. And yet we, we, we see God, he, he's not overly concerned how good it looks about him and he, he allows life to happen. So we're gonna see the big messes in life. Then secondly, we're gonna see the bigger picture of the Lord's work. We're gonna see the bigger picture 
of the Lord's work. We're going to see what is God ultimately doing? Where, where is he in the midst of that? Uh, so as we look at the big messes of life, uh, I am not joking. This is one of, and this is not me being dramatic. It's one of the worst chapters in the Bible, period. Period. It, it is by far uh, one of the worst chapters in the Bible. Uh, I actually did some mixing of, because Mark came, and I actually, one of the earlier chapters, I think we took a little longer. So Andy and I always plot out when he's preaching. Last week, he's like, hey, thanks for today's passage, because he thought he was doing it, and I had my out clause, and I didn't. I didn't take advantage of it. I said, no, I've already been preparing it. No, you're supposed to do next week. Uh, that's my fault. Uh, if you remember chapter 12, though, so we, it was pre our Christmas or Advent series. It was bad. David got confronted, but we did see some hope, right? He said, your, your, your sins are going to be forgiven. Uh, we saw David actually start leading again because Joab said, you need to get out here and be king. So it, it seemed like there was some positive, but if you also remember chapter 12, uh, there were some warnings, do you remember God, through days, Nathan told him, hey, the child that you got Bathsheba pregnant with is going to die. And there's going to be some stuff going on in your family moving forward because of what you did. And we're going to see really the fulfillment of that right now. All right. So let's look at the problem of sin. Let's look at the problem of sin. Read verses 1 to 15 with me. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard? Morning after morning, will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread and to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and, and baked the cakes and she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. And Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cake she had made and brought them into the chamber of Amnon to her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her. And he said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where would I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the most outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her. And he lay with her. 
And Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. First of all, take note of the unchecked sin. I think one of the first things we got to see is there's a resemblance going on here in this passage. Now, I personally, as a dad, got a big family, got six kids. Uh, when people see our children, depending on who you know more, depending on what you're looking at, you might see Abby or you might see me. I prefer you seeing me because I'm that self-absorbed. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I want you to see me like, oh, she's so pretty. I see Joe. <laughs> He's so handsome, like a little Joe. However, I'm not a big fan when some of my kids maybe have a meltdown or they're rude, obnoxious, dis- disrespectful. I don't want to hear the apple doesn't fall far from the tree like father, like son. In the middle of my six-year-old throwing a fit, somebody coming along, little Joe. No, you don't. Friends, what we see going on with Amnon, and it, it, it is, it's tragic, is we see many David. We see David seeing something that he want. And he took it. We don't know, and I didn't delve too much in it. We don't know what the dynamics were when Bathsheba was taken to the king. We don't know how much resistance Bathsheba. The Bible and God's wisdom has refrained us from knowing what goes on. All we do know is Bathsheba did not pursue this. This was a David thing. He saw it. He took it. It's, it's the language here, right? It's a language that we see in Genesis Chapter 3, Eve, she saw the tree, saw the fruit of the tree, she saw it, and what'd she do? She took it, she ate of it. David saw Bathsheba, she, he took her, he laid with her. Amnon sees Tamar, he takes her, he lays with her. Now where it says virgin, the Hebrew word used there, it could be not just simply a matter of of her history of intimacy or lack thereof. It's the language actually used for a woman who is of marriageable age. And if you start seeing the dilemma for Amnon is that he, he liked his sister, but it was forbidden for him to be with his sister. Leviticus 18.9, for example, just give you one example from scripture. You should not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. In other words, it was forbidden, and Amnon knew that, for him to be with Tamar. But he doesn't deal with the desires. What does he do? He leaves them unchecked. And the language, even where it says he loves her, did he love her? He lusted for her. Let's call it what it is. He was attracted physically to her and he wanted to do something to her. He did not want to marry her. He wasn't daydreaming about a future raising children with her. That there was his dream girl. No, he was a 
purely barbaric, sinful, selfish man, and he did not deal with the sin. He was so obsessed with her that he got sick to the point where he he could barely live. He could barely function. Friends, you've got to deal with your sin in those early stages. Sin will take you places that you never thought you could be taken. I think in all fairness, probably to Amnon, he probably did not anticipate earlier on in all of this that I'm going to eventually rape my sister, but that's where sin takes him. And then you've got the cousin. Did you notice that was a cousin involved? The the mediator man, Jonadab. He's a cousin and he's called crafty. Where did we hear crafty before in the Bible? In Genesis. So instantly we start seeing Satan's in the mix. And this is not a compliment that he's crafty. And he, he starts thinking through, now, now maybe we'll give Jonah Diab the benefit. Maybe he did not anticipate that what would end up happening is Tamar raping his sister. Maybe he thought, I'm going to put them in a situation. Maybe the feelings are reciprocal, mutual, and maybe they can kind of have their own thing. Kind of like the forbidden romance, like a la Romeo and Juliet, whatever. But like, so he, he orchestrates events. He's got ideas. Here's how you can get your sister alone and then you can talk with her or whatever. And he, he does that. So he, but what we got to see is Amnon's sin is premeditated. It is plotted out. It is planned. And then we get to Tamar. Tamar, besides God in this chapter, is the only noble person. The only one. God uses her as a warning to Amnon. Listen to what he says. Go back to uh, verse 12. No, my brother, don't violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Remember, this is God's covenant, people. This is not something that, this happens amongst the Canaanites. This doesn't happen with God's people. So he warns her. He says, it would bring shame on me. And what else would it do? It would be, you would be an outrageous fool. We need to remember, you know who Amnon is in the pecking order with David? He's next in line. He's his oldest. David dies, who should be king next? Amnon, so we think. And we've already read that David, there's going to be a, a, a son who's going to sit on your throne. So we're starting to wonder who it is. So it's going to be Amnon. And you're going you're to risk all that? Amnon, you're going to ruin that all by doing this. But he doesn't listen to her. And he rapes her. James 1.14 person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire when it is given birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. This is a warning passage to all of us with our sin. If you're delusional, if you're naive, that you think you can keep your sin in check, this is what happens when you don't. And it happened when David didn't keep his sin in check. But not only is the sin unchecked, it's unsatisfying. Notice his response. When Amnon hated her with very much hatred, so much hatred that it was greater than the love or the lust that he loved her in the beginning. Do you understand that? His fantasies have been met, his desires have been filled, and voila, not what he was hoping for. 
We see this in, in, in the world. Somebody's in survival. Uh, they're out and, and they haven't ate. They haven't drank. So they're, they're dying of hunger and thirst. And maybe they come across a, a, a carcass and they're hungry and they don't cook it enough. Or they, they get water and they don't boil it enough. And they eat and drink and it feels good in the moment because they were able to eat and they were able to drink. They felt like, man, I so needed that, but then what they actually ate or what actually they drank actually sickens them, even maybe to the point of death. And friends, that is sin. It is poison to our soul. It, it can't satisfy us. God will not let it satisfy us. Instead, it produces guilt and shame. Because that's what's going on here. Understand that. Instantly with Amnon, we never hear him say it. There's no repentance. There's no conviction. But he is overwhelmed with guilt and shame because what did I just do? And who ends up being the scapegoat? The victim. But understand, that's what sin does. Proverbs 5.3, the lips of a forbidden woman drips honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So one... Are you checking, in your, checking your sin? Are you taking captive thoughts? Do you have boundaries in place? Are you meditating on the truth? Do you realize that sin can't deliver? Because that's really kind of that defining moment in your life and in my life. When temptation comes, you really weigh the options. And I think often when we succumb to sin... When we go down that path that we know we shouldn't, we think at the end of the day, in the moment, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be better. And every single time, every single time, it leaves us with regret and remorse. So we see the problem of sin. Secondly, I want us to look at the pain caused by sin. Let's go to verse 16. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this, is, this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dress. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head. She went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. First of all, I want us to consider her hurt. I want us to understand the pain caused by your sin. Understand that. In our country, uh, over the years, one of the things that it, it's difficult to do, like at a public setting, is smoke. And one of the reasons for that is we came to the realization that this is just not a matter of your, your personal freedoms, because when you smoke, uh, what we, we've seen happen medically is secondhand smoke. 
So yeah, it's great that you have your freedom to smoke, but when you smoke, I'm inhaling the smoke, and, and we've seen that that can cause damage to people's lungs and, and health and, and that. And it's kind of that second hand that there's an impact. Even though you're the one actually doing it, I'm feeling the effects of it. Friends, that's what sin does. Sin is not neat. Sin is not simplified where it's like, you know, this is, hey, just mind your own business. This is my own little personal private sin in my little bubble. It doesn't impact anybody. It doesn't impact my wife. It doesn't impact my kids. It doesn't impact my neighbor. It doesn't impact my friends. It, it doesn't. That's not how sin works. Sin impacts everybody. And the bigger the sin, the worse it gets. And in this particular instance, this isn't even secondhand. Tamar is the victim. Think about that with sin. Almost all sin that we do usually has some victim to it. Ephesians 4.33, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Think of all of those sins. They're always having a victim. You're slandering somebody. You're angry at somebody. You're uh, bitter at somebody. It's, it's always a victim. Our sin always has a victim. Amnon's sin has collateral damage. It, 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 it's so bad for what it does to Tamar. His lust being acted upon and it, it ruined. It ruined Tamar's life. Don't pretend to think your sin can be tr- controlled. I mean, the Bible says very clearly that we are slaves to sin. Uh, sin is not controlled. Uh, I, I, spending a week in this passage was rough as a preacher, as a study, as a student of the Bible, because my heart each day broke for Tamar. It broke for her. She's the most noble character in this Bible. She didn't do anything wrong. And her life was ruined in this moment because of Amnon. I think even how it's written, we, he, he wrote it in a way that we despise Amnon. And we want something done to Amnon as a result. Notice even her language here. You know, where, where would I be able to carry the, the shame? Now she lives in desolation. And then he goes on at the end of verse 20. So Tamar lived a, a desolate woman. Do you know the word used, desolate? It's the word used to describe a town laid waste by war or enemies. So when we're watching videos from the Ukraine, seeing Russia damaging a town and, and buildings are torn down, or when we look at video from this past year with the hurricanes in Florida and we see the desolation in southern Florida, when we see that, that was Tamar's life. Friends, and Tamar is not alone. There might be some of you even here today who've been the victim of rape, the victim of abuse. Absalom's not actually, to be honest with you, where he says, don't take this to heart. What he's kind of communicating is like, this is complicated. And what we see is he, he basically says, I will take it to heart. I will deal with this. But the pain is real. Friends, that's the world we live in. That there are people who have been Victims of abuse, victims of, of rape. That's a real experience. 
But we see or heard, but what I want to offer, and I, I feel like I really needed to talk about this today as we look at the passage, is God's hope. Because we don't know what happens with Tamar moving on. The only thing it says is she lived this desolate, ruined life. Think about that. Think of Tamar's hopes and dreams. She probably wanted to be married one day and, and have children and just, you know, all of those things that a young, beautiful woman would desire. And all of that was taken from her by her half-brother. But I hope someone in their midst offered her Comfort and encouragement. We know in Scripture, Revelation 21, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am going to make all things new. You see, the shame and guilt that she was experiencing were not her fault. She did nothing wrong. And here's the key, and they don't, they don't define her. Her identity is not that. Because of Christ. I talked with Ryan this week for those of you who know, that's one of our main ministries we support, the Aruna Project. We did the Aruna race in September. And what they do is they get young women out of human trafficking in India. And they're dealing with girls, not that one time were raped, but girls that have been raped hundreds of times. And I asked them, I'm like, first of all, like we've had the conversation. I don't know how he even can deal with that ministry. It would, it would be so overwhelming for me mentally and emotionally. And I said, how do these girls, you know, how do they, they get over this? And he said, he gave the example of Jacob. And if you remember Jacob in Genesis, he wrestles God. And what happens at the end of the wrestling? He's got a limp. So from that point on in the Bible, we don't think about it much, but Jacob was always limping. And he said, these girls, a lot of them, they will have a limp the rest of their lives. They're scarred with the emotions and the shame and the guilt of the fact that they were a victim of this. But he says the, the hope has been for them that one day, their body will be glorified. One day, heaven will come. One day, their tears will be wiped away. Their past hurts will no longer be something that they even find them defined. He said and one of the keys that they've done is, is in counseling and, and pointing them to Scripture, is pointing them like Psalm 139, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Going back to Genesis, that you are created in the image of God because what sin does is it takes away the the. Not literally, but it feels like it takes away the fact that we're image bearers. That we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That these victims of rape, victims of abuse, they, they look themselves in the mirror and they're filled with guilt and shame that I'm worthless. I am damaged goods. <laughs> that is, is, is that true? Because of Christ? No. He makes all things new, and there's hope there. So I, I want to encourage anybody here who's went through stuff like that, that you would know that, that, that in Christ you're a new creation. I, and I don't want to minimize, I don't want to numb your pain, but know that. Know that, that there is hope in the gospel. Do you take into account the victims of your sin do you empathize with the traumatized? Do you see hope in Christ and the pain? So we see the big messes of life. We see the problem of sin, the pain caused by sin. Now we need to look beyond simply the wickedness of Mamnon. What good is being carried out in the midst of brokenness? 
So get this bigger picture of the Lord's work. First of all, we're going to ask two questions. First question, where's the king? Where's the king? Read verse 21 to 33 with me. When David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be a burden to you, burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessings. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, for I have not commanded you. Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom had struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth. And all servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimeon, David's brother, said, let not my lord suppose that he had killed all the young men, the king's son, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore let me not, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. First of all, notice the revengeful justice. Uh, I, w- I was watching uh, something on social media this past week or a couple weeks ago, and there was a, uh, it was a professional sporting event, and the professional athlete was coming into the arena, and as he's coming in, he has to go through a lot of security checkpoints, and one of the security checkpoints, nobody's there, and he videotapes it. Over off on the side of the wall, there's a table, the guard is asleep. I'm assuming he lost his job on this, but like, what, what's the problem with that? If you're a security guard, where do you need to be? Doing security! Not very helpful you sleeping when people could have went in and out of the arena where the professional athletes are entering. We read this passage, and doesn't it feel like, did the king fall asleep? Where's the king? Where's the king? 1 Samuel 10.1, if you remember, we, and I beat this drum so many times as we went through Samuel. King had two responsibilities. He had two jobs. 1 Samuel 10.1. You shall reign, be judge, rule over the people, and you will save the people from the hand of your enemies. Protect, deliver. King, you rule and reign, protect, deliver. That simple. A major crime is committed, and then notice, verse 20 gets me so angry. Read it with me. King David heard about all these things. He was very angry. Whoopity-doo. You're angry. You're the king. Do something about it, David. He does nothing. He does nothing. Not to mention, he's a king, but what else is he in this, in this, this chapter? What is he? He is a what? He's a father. David, what are you doing, dude? 
Your, your son raped a woman and you do nothing about it? Your daughter was raped, you do nothing about it? What is wrong with you, David? Think of the kind, because here's the deal. When I read the chapter, as I studied this week, who did I kind of like in the chapter? Let's be honest. Kind of liked Absalom. I kind of liked him. Chapter went on, I was like, at least he does something about it. Like, I, I, there, was a, there was an appreciation. At least he's being a king. Because that's what kings would do. And he does it. Absalom's next in line. Now, here's where it gets tricky with, with Absalom. One, he's built on revenge. Romans 12, 19 teaches us, Beloved, never revenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So is Absalom really the character who's supposed to be revenging anybody? He's not. And then also, it doesn't really unpack it in the passage. It doesn't unpack it in the passage for us. Do you see the conflict? Do you see he's next in line? So you wonder the motivation. Yeah, he's defending his sister, but he's also, he's killing the person in his way to become king. And to be honest, as we're going to see, he's not done with just that person. He's going to go the next one. He's deciding, you know what? My dad's a joke as a king. I'm going to be the king. But we see the revengeful justice. But then secondly, we see the righteous justice. I, I think at the end of the day, this chapter, what it should be doing for you and I, longing for a better king. When I see and I read this passage, you know what I want? I want Jesus. I want Jesus. And we live in a culture where people turn a blind eye to injustice all the time. Our government and society turns a blind eye to the babies being murdered. Not a big deal. We, we turn a blind eye to this. We turn a blind eye to that. Uh, there are atrocities going on over in Asia right now. And people are aware. And yet we funnel money galore as companies because it's such a large mar market and demographic. Like we turn a blind eye. And, and we see David, a man after God's own heart, turning a blind eye. What a failure as a king. Revelation 19.11. But here's the good news. Behold, I saw one riding on a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. You see that, that Jesus is going to make things new. That Jesus is going to judge. What I would argue even in this passage and Jesus and his patience and forbearance is leaving time for repentance. So when we see all the injustices in the world, the fact that Jesus hasn't come, that we long for him to come, is a good thing because it's giving people opportunities to turn and to repent. Or are you allowing revenge to take root in your heart? Do you long for righteous justice? You see that one day the wicked will be judged. So we ask the question, where's the king? But then the next question, where's God? Read the last section with me. So Absalom fled, the young men who kept watch lifted up his eyes, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said, 
So it has come about, and as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's son came and lifted up their voice and wept, and the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amiahud, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son after day, day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years, and the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. There is no mention of God in this chapter. No mention. But we have to ask, is, is he not there? You know, we need to remember, is what, what is God doing here? He is judging David for his sin. We've got to remember, 2 Samuel chapter 12, listen, verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from you, from your house, because you despise me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'm going to raise up evil against you out of your own house, David. Isn't that what's happening? Absalom's going to come for the throne. His own son, his own flesh and blood is going to come and try to kill him and take over the throne. And I will take your wives before your eyes, and we're going to see that happening, and give them to your neighbor, and you shall lie. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son. For this you did in secretly, but I am going to do the very thing before all Israel and before the son. I think when you read this, I often imagine, now mind you, this is God's sovereign plan and everything, but like, what if? Like my kids, my, my one son has the, the Choose Your Adventure books. And I've always, I grew up loving those books. But I was bad at them. And there'd be so many times I would choose the wrong adventure. And I would turn to the next page and I'm falling off of a cliff. And I'm like, all right, we're going to go backwards. And I would, I would explore the various passages and finally have one that actually took me along the story. But don't you wonder what if? What if David wasn't on that rooftop? Does Amnon ever rape his sister? What if David doesn't have a bunch of wives? Like all of these what if. God is sovereign, but man is still responsible. It's sad, the state of the kingdom. So he's not only judging David for his sin, but I think he is reaping from all of his polygamy. We, um, I think because the Bible doesn't talk much about David's wives, we think it somehow was like the, um, the exception for David. Like normally speaking, nobody should have multiple wives, but God was like, oh, David, you can, you can do your own thing. I, I was talking this past week at basketball, one of my kids' games, uh, Josh's games. Uh, we had a disagreement with the official about uh, the other team. Uh, they were camping out in the key, and that's, that's a rule that you, you can't do it. And I, when I was talking with him, he clarified some points of the rule, but then the one thing he said, he's like, you know, to be honest, like if I want to, I could call that play, that penalty every, every time down the court. He's like, I actually give it a longer time than I actually use because of that. And I, I think we've got to realize, like, not that God is allowing a three-second violation, but there's, he's, he's, he doesn't call everything out in Scripture that's wrong, that is wrong. He doesn't approve of it, though. I mean, remember the garden. It, he, he, he brought man and woman together, Adam and Eve. And he said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's a, that's a one-one relationship. Polygamy was never, never okay in God's eyes. 
And actually, Deuteronomy 17, 17, it says, He shall not acquire, talking about the future kings that they have, many wives, for when he does, his heart will be turned away from me. I think part of David's mess all stemmed from having all these wives. He's got this divided family. He's got sons and daughters from all over, all vying for the throne. We saw the same problem with Jacob and his sons. It's a mess. Do you see the consequences for sin? Do you see that God is a promise keeper? Do you take heed to his warnings? Are you naive to sin's impact? We're going to close with a song. I wanted to draw attention to the lyrics of this song because I think it's very, we, we need to hear this in light of the passage. The lyrics go, unto the Lamb, honor and glory. Worthy is he who overcame. Buried in shame, risen in power, he is alive and the stone is rolled away. All our worship will belong to him forever. Death is conquered and all our Savior holds the keys. There is a name that reigns above all others, Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. It won't be long. We will behold him, and every tear will wipe away. Could Tamar use that message in the story? We'll be at home. The war will be over. Soon we will meet our Savior face to face. And every burden will be lifted in his presence. Every trophy will be laid down at his feet. There is a name that reigns above all others, Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. Our worship will belong to you forever, holy, holy, for all eternity. Yours is the name that reigns above all others, Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. Don't we need to hear that today? Don't we need to sing that today? Don't we need to believe that today? We turn on the news and we read stories of Tamar. We see the awful side of this world. We experience personally, maybe some of you today are victims of abuse that you need to be reminded that this is not the end. This is not who I am. I'm not defined by this. It's not my fault. I didn't create this shame. That God is still on the throne and he's coming back. That he's going to make all things new. Remember, in the midst of all of this story, here's the beauty. Who's going to come through this sick, perverted, twisted, dysfunctional, wicked family? Jesus. Jesus. The king of kings that we wait for. The one that we, we long for. We might not know what God is doing in the moment, but we, you know what we do know? What he's already done. What he's already done. And it won't be long before we behold him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. Uh, we acknowledge how difficult it is when we see a, a passage like today. How troubling it is to see somebody uh, the victim of abuse. God, and we pray. We, we pray, Lord. We pray for anybody who's got that past, who's been traumatized by sin, not of their own sin, but sin done to them. God, that you would bring healing, that you would bring restoration, that you would bring uh, recovery. God, we also just want to pray uh, specifically uh, for us in our own battle with sin, that, God, we would uh, understand where it can lead us.
and that we would take it very seriously. And lastly, God, we pray that you would help us to be a people who long, who long for Jesus to return. That that would be our heart's desire above all things, be above sin, above personal success, about uh, all the wishes we have in life, that, that our root desire would be to behold Jesus. And until that day, may we live for him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond through song?